Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we're continuing our series, Why Follow Jesus? So turning your Bibles to John chapter 6, verses 16 to 29, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled, How to Grow Your Faith. I wonder how many of you remember Yuri Gagarin. Yuri Gagarin was a Soviet cosmonaut. In fact, in the time of the Cold War, when the then two superpowers, the U.S. and the Soviet Union, were competing to have the first man in space, Yuri Gagarin was that first man. It was an achievement. If you're of the older generation, you'll remember him. He circled the globe several times and then came back and said he had been to the heavens and there was no God out there. I've often thought about what he said. It really seems amazing. The space capsule that Gagarin flew in had only the tiniest of windows in which he would see but a fraction of what was around him. You know, the Earth is a tiny planet on the edge of a medium-sized galaxy in a universe of untold galaxies. We are in size less than a tiny droplet floating in the ocean. And this man went around that droplet several times, saw only a fraction of what was there of that droplet, and announced that he had seen the ocean and noticed the absence of its creator. Amazing arrogance coupled with amazing ignorance. You know, someone has said all Gagarin had to have done to see God was open the door of his space capsule and and step out and he would have seen God instantly. Well, most people believe in God, but like Yuri Gagarin, they've never seen him either. I don't mean to say that you can see God with your physical eyes. After all, God is spirit. I mean to say that you can see him by faith. But faith, or learning to see by faith, is a lifetime exercise. The work of faith, to live and see by faith, that's an all-consuming task, and it's worthy of all of our energy. You see, whenever anyone does live in faith, well, they begin to see all of life from a completely different and unique perspective. They begin to see the hand of God, not only when there's a miracle, but in everything. Nothing's random. Nothing is luck. All of life is the outworking of divine sovereignty. It's all divine love working on their behalf. Faith sees the hand of God everywhere. Faith knows the promises of God. Faith trusts God to work on our behalf in every single situation we encounter. Faith is a radical way of living. Faith is the only avenue of pleasing God. If you ever meet people like that, their lives are outstanding. They know the purpose that God has for them. They're at peace. They're deeply content. They are people of love, people of grace, people of patience. Do you want to be a man or woman of faith? Well, we're studying John chapter 6, and this chapter is really all about why some people become disappointed with Jesus and decide no longer to follow him. They are people who don't see God. They're, they're really like Yuri Gagarin. The chapter begins with the account of Jesus feeding the 5,000 with five small barley loaves and two small fish. And after that, you'll recall there was such an enthusiasm in the crowd that they wanted to make Jesus king by force, but He withdraws from them because he's determined that his kingdom is not of this world and it's not a political kingdom. So today we come to John chapter 6, verses 16 to 24. Let me read it now. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea and got into a boat 
and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Well, the Sea of Galilee lies in a vast inland basin some 650 feet below sea level. It's about 13 miles wide. It's surrounded by hills and mountains that reach an elevation of 2,000 feet on one side on the west and over 4,000 feet on the east. So east-west valley pulls cool Mediterranean air from the west every afternoon, which collides with the heated desert air in the basin, and it creates strong winds and frequent storms. Sudden storms can be quite dangerous to a small boat, and in the night it can be positively deadly. You'll remember that the reason Jesus had gone to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee was to get away from the crowds. He was desperately in need of rest. But when the crowds followed them, he had compassion on them and spent the day ministering to them. Now it was evening and he must have been exhausted. And John simply records that the disciples got into a boat and set across the Sea of Galilee, making their way to Capernaum on the other side. But when Matthew records this very same account, and it's found in Matthew 14, 22 to 24, he adds a feature that kind of draws this account together. Matthew said, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. You know, I find this fascinating. Jesus wanted to be alone. He would no doubt have spent the night in prayer. That was his custom. So he made his disciples get into the boat. Now, that word made can also be translated as to compel. He compelled them into the boat. I put it this way. I imagine him insisting, get in, and then putting out his foot and pushing the boat out into the sea, his disciples behind the oars, and he going back to that place of prayer. Well, did he know what would happen to them that night? Well, of course he did. Remember, John wants us to know that Jesus is the great creator. He knew his disciples were going to get into one of those fear storms that take away human life. And there is Jesus pushing the boat out into the sea that in a short period of time is going to be in the center of a raging storm. Well, why? Well, because there's a faith lesson that has to be learned in the storm. And please don't miss this. The disciples were fighting for their lives in the storm simply because Jesus had insisted that they should be out there. By the way, this should take away any thought that if we follow Jesus, we're guaranteed that all our problems are going to go away. There are times that following Jesus actually makes our problems grow. I mean, think about the businessman who says that before I came to Christ, I did a lot of business transactions by cash, and I never reported that to the income tax people. 
But now that I'm in Christ, well, I can't do that anymore. But my competitors still do, and, and soon I'm finding my business is hard-pressed. See, I begin to tell myself, I've never had troubles like this before, not until I came to Christ. Oh, think about the immigrant who comes to this country, gives his life to Christ, and then he begins to struggle and say, you know, if I tell the immigration officials the truth, I might be sent back home. And suddenly getting to know Jesus has introduced trouble that they had never seen before. And so if there is a lesson to be learned here, I think it's this. Jesus deliberately leads his own into difficult situations. It's his intention to do that. He doesn't want to make life hard for us simply because, you know, he wants to make life hard for us. It's just that he knows that some lessons of faith can only be learned in the midst of the storm. Faith happens in moments of trial. You know, verse 19 says that they had rowed between three and four miles. I mean, they're now too far into the lake to turn back, and it's dark. The storm is raging. The boat is starting to take on water. I don't know whether it's because there was a full moon or because Jesus somehow made himself visible, but, but straining their eyes into the sea, they see him walking. You know, some have thought that the disciples were influenced by beliefs of pagan sailors. There's a popular superstition in that day that just before you die, you would see spirits coming to get you. Now, whatever the disciples were thinking, we're not told, only that, as Matthew and Mark tell us, that they thought it was a spirit, and that was bad news. You and I know that all along it was Jesus walking on the water. I mean, all those fears were unfounded, but the disciples didn't know that. But I do have an obvious question, and the more I think about it, the more it seems obvious. Why didn't the disciples think it was Jesus all along? I mean, why did they imagine anything but him? I mean, after all, he had performed one miracle after another. Why wouldn't that be the obvious thought? Why didn't they believe that since he was greater than Moses, that he could not only part the water, but he could come to them on the water? But they didn't even imagine that. See, once you're terrified in the storm, it's, it's hard to see good news. It's hard to see Jesus, and it's easy to imagine the worst. And here's the lesson. The greatest challenge is to believe in moments of crisis. It requires the eyes of faith to believe. But some of us have never developed that eyesight. This Christmas season is the busiest time of the year for many of us. There's decorations to be hung, gifts to be wrapped, and family gatherings to attend. Like an overstuffed Christmas stocking, there's too much crammed into too little. That's why Back to the Bible Canada is offering you a 30-day devotional booklet entitled Quiet Spaces for Christmas. It's an invitation to be refreshed by the simplicity of God's grace and the arrival of King Jesus. We're also offering you a choice between this devotional or a resource for your kids called Jake and the Christmas Surprise, courtesy of our friends at Laugh Again. It's a funny Christmas story filled with colorful illustrations and Bible verses to reflect on together as a family. It's a great tool for those searching to know Jesus at a young age. Choose one of these resources as our gift by visiting backtothebible.ca. It's hard to believe when you're overwhelmed with trouble. I've often heard people say, you know, where is God in all of this? And so we doubt. 
Now others run around looking for a quick and easy answer. Someone must have the answer to my problem. You know, some people simply panic when trouble hits. They simply imagine the worst out of life. And then there are those who seem to thrive in difficulties. I mean, this is the crowd that says, you know, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. You know, trouble seems to energize them. But some people, they have the reflex of faith. When things get tough, they start trusting. And that is our challenge. I remember a number of years ago, Kathy and I were planning to go to seminary in Southern California. We were quite young then. You know, I won't tell you about the miracles that opened the door to us to get there. Everything from getting a check in the mail and a number of other things as well. But I do remember we have moved down in faith because although I had obtained a student visa, Kathy was still waiting for her work visa. Well, we moved down and waited for her work visa to come, but we were running out of money and still no visa. Then we thought, Kathy's pregnant. We didn't even have enough money to go home anymore. You know, I remember thinking, God, have you deceived us in leading us here? But that's the place, the storm, where we began to learn to trust, to believe, and not to despair. And eventually God answered all of our prayers, and that's another story. But for the disciples, the breakthrough came when they heard Jesus say, it is I. See, they recognized his voice. And Matthew tells us that Peter even said, if it is really you, tell me to come on the water to you. And we know how that ended. See, these were skeptical folks. Now I know, wouldn't it be nice that whenever we encounter trouble, that we would always see Jesus coming to us walking on the water. But listen, in a sense, he does exactly that. He defeated death. He lives forever. He promised us that he would never leave or forsake us. And he gave us his word and his precious promises. See, did you know that faith can grow if we learn to discern the presence of Jesus walking to us in our time of crisis? Wouldn't it be great to hear his voice in every storm? We live in a world full of voices. It's important to name them and recognize them. The voices of evolution and the voices of secularism say, everything is random. Sometimes you have good luck, sometimes you have bad luck, and that's how luck goes. And the voices of some religious groups will say, it's all fate. Whatever happens to you is recorded in the stars. There's nothing you can do about it, and now you're doomed. I wonder how many of us are afraid of things like curses or bad karma, poor horoscope readings, or an omen. I'm amazed how afraid even Christians are of so-called spiritual signs that provide bad omens. And I say, nonsense to all of that. Listen, there are still other voices. The voices of the positive thinkers say, you know, it's all a matter of a positive mental attitude. Just, just try harder. But the voice of Jesus says, it is I. I will never leave you or forsake you. I've conquered death and hell destruction and the grave. I now order all things for your long-term benefit. Don't be afraid. Just trust me. And it takes faith and discernment to hear that voice. And you have to start by believing, as, as Paul says in Colossians 1.17, that in him, that is, in Jesus, all things hold together. He arranges all things. You need to believe and trust. The disciples were exactly that. They were disciples. See, they were learners. They were novices to the way of faith. And the lesson of Jesus walking on water at this point was still new to them. But then again, that, that was not the only miracle on the lake that night. Look at verse 21. It says, 
Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. I love what F.L. Goddard said about that encounter. He said, one can scarcely imagine, indeed, after an act of power so magnificent and so kingly as Jesus walking on the water, he should have seated himself in the boat and the voyage have been laboriously continued by the stroke of the oar. At the moment Jesus set foot on the boat, he communicated to it the force victorious over gravity and space, which had just been so strikingly displayed in his own presence. You know, in other words, the minute he got into the boat, it arrived at its destination. See, all that was needed in the storm was Jesus. And that's all any of us need. It takes a lifetime to discover that. It takes lesson after lesson, and we need to learn and relearn many times over. I'm going to say this, and I mean to say it as forcefully as I possibly can. Faith in Jesus is the answer to all of life's problems. Does that seem unlikely to you? Is it really possible that faith in Jesus is the answer to all of life's problems? See, I want you now to think of the biggest problem that you presently have. I mean, what what would it be? Some of you have problems sleeping because you have a problem. Some of you have noticed your blood pressure going up just thinking about it. Some of you are panicked. I want you to imagine what would happen if Jesus came to your house or to your place of work or into your church and walked over to your pew and said, let me solve this problem for you. What would happen then? Well, he would not only solve the problem, he would do it in just the way that would bring glory to himself and benefit you, right? Well, of course he would. So when Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you, don't you know that he's always the answer to all of life's problems? All you need is to believe in him, trust in Jesus to deliver you. And that's the story of walking on water. But, of course, it's not the end of the story. Remember, what had started this event were the crowds who loved to hear Jesus teach and who had now seen an extraordinary miracle. They wanted to make Jesus king by force because they saw that at Passover, when Jesus performed a miracle, well, that made them believe he was the prophet to come and the one who would deliver them from Roman oppression. I want us to see the contrast here. It's a contrast between the disciples and the crowd. The contrast between a group of people who were slowly learning the lessons of faith and the people who, although they were enthused about Jesus, would never learn the lessons of faith. We know that the rest of John chapter 6 is taken up in a debate between Jesus and the crowds, and in the end, many of them decided they would never follow him again. So if you look ahead to verse 59, you'll find that Jesus said all these things in a synagogue in Capernaum. So undoubtedly, he had gone there to preach, and that's where the crowd found him. And they're still enthusiastic about his miracle, and they're still convinced that he should be their king. So they find him, and the first question they asked of him is, how did you get here? See, it's a natural question. If you didn't take a boat, how is it that you're here? See, I would have thought that this would have been a great time for Jesus to tell them. He should have said, I got here by walking about, you know, five kilometers on top of the water. And when I got into the boat, I miraculously powered it right over the lake. And that's why I'm here. Then he could have called the disciples forward as witnesses. So if he'd done that, I could almost hear the crowds, you know, wow, you know, Moses gave us bread, but you also gave us bread and Moses part of the water, but you walk right on top of it. But unlike Moses, You know, the people had to walk all the way through the water, but you supernaturally powered the boat right over top of the water. No rowing required, just, you know, riding on the wings of angels. I mean, that's fantastic. 
I mean, we believe. But what would have happened then? I think they would have wanted more miracles. And then, of course, the movement to make him king by force, well, that movement that had begun on the other side of the lake, well, that would have become even more pronounced and urgent. We need a king now, and he's the one. You know, sometimes when I hear people in the secular media speaking about faith, you know, they talk about faith as if it means that people believe in spite of the evidence to the contrary. That is, you know, some people say it's a miracle that happened and other people say, no, it's part of everyday life. And the difference between people of faith and those who have none is just a matter of perspective. I mean, that's how the media thinks about faith. But that's not what we actually find here, is it? The crowd had all witnessed a miracle in the feeding of the 5,000. Now, it is true that they had not witnessed the miracle on the lake, but that really doesn't matter here. If the crowd had seen that miracle, they would still have come to the very same conclusion that they had already embraced. This is the great prophet, and we need now that he would solve all of our political problems. See, the reason why some miracles are withheld from the unbelieving is because no end of miracles will ever change a mindset that's already deeply rooted in the soul. That's because so many people have never seen in Jesus any more than the fact that he might meet their temporal needs. Lord, I need healing. Lord, I'm hungry. Lord, my enemies are triumphing over me. Lord, I desperately need that situation in my future to work out for me now. So please note that our God is concerned with all the temporal things that we face. Remember that Jesus told us that God clothes the grass of the field and watches out for every sparrow. But that's not entrusting ourselves into the hands of God. Faith is something quite different. John, let me ask you a quick question in the light of what you've said. What is the difference between having faith and making your request before God? Well, let's just say at the outset that we never want to discourage anyone from making a request made known to God. We are to bring all things before God to him in prayer. The kind of faith that John is talking about here is a very specifically directed faith. It's the kind of faith that trusts Christ for everything, specifically trusting in him unto eternal life, reconciliation with God, forgiveness of sins, all of that kind of stuff. Lots of people make requests to God and never have that kind of faith. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue in the series, Why Follow Jesus, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. You know, as a Christian, you may have had questions about the Bible or spiritual life that are hard to answer. Perhaps you felt that certain questions are best kept to yourself, especially those that involve doubts. Well, here at Back to the Bible Canada, we believe in bringing these to light. Finding answers to difficult questions is critical for an unwavering and steadfast faith. That's why we're adding to a very popular video series from a number of years ago called Ask Dr. John. We gathered up our most complex and frequently asked questions for Dr. John to unpack in a two-part series on YouTube. So be sure to check us out on YouTube. Subscribe and hit the notification bell so you never miss the next episode. And if you're able, please consider a donation to help make resources like these available for free to all. You can give at backtothebible.ca.